as churches in the UK, we are ready-made communities in a way that, that other community groups aren't. We see that a lot of people who are seeking refuge in the UK can find secular Britain quite scary and quite daunting because that's not something that they're used to. And I think there's a really important role that the church has to play in UK society to kind of help bridge that gap between people of other cultures where faith is more valued in everyday life, more represented compared to to secular Britain as we see it today. Welcome to Faith at the Frontiers, a podcast that confronts the toughest challenges to the Christian faith with hope. My name is Barnabas Asprey, but most people just call me Barney. The current series is all about refugees and asylum seekers. This episode focuses on what churches can do as whole communities to welcome refugees in their midst. I interview the founder of a charity that tries to connect refugees to churches that can welcome them so that they can begin to make friends and feel integrated into the UK. It's a challenge to all of us to look out for the refugees in our midst who need a community to belong to. I hope you enjoy the episode. It's a pleasure to welcome Emily Holden, whose work and passion for refugees makes her one of the perfect people to have on this podcast. Emily, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. You're welcome. It's good to be here. And so, Emily, you're one of the founders of Welcome Churches. So tell me a little bit about this charity. Why did you found it and why does it exist? Yeah, so I founded it with a lady called Karina Martin. Um, We became our own charity in 2018 after growing out of a local project um, in Derby. So both of us had kind of different journeys, I suppose, of what brought us to the point of wanting to set up a national charity. For myself, I had had a friend who worked in a deportation centre, working with families who were being deported back to their home country. Were the baby people who's... uh claim to asylum had been rejected yes so their claim had been rejected and so they had um they were being removed from the country often not by their own choice and so through that experience and then she then went on to work with destitute asylum seekers whose claims had also been rejected and then they'd fallen through the cracks of the system which meant that they were homeless without any recourse to public funds and at the mercy of charities and through those two things that was kind of the first time that my eyes were open to some of the injustices that there are in the asylum system in the UK how people are treated and how forgotten a lot of people are in the asylum system, particularly when their claims fail by the rest of society. Yeah, it's pretty much the worst situation to be in, isn't it? If you in the UK, you've made a claim for asylum and it's been rejected, then you've got no help or support at all. Absolutely, yes. And it's not necessarily that the government put you on a plane straight away and send you back, but you just kind of get evicted from your property. You don't have any money anymore and you're just kind of sent out into the streets really uh, which is a really horrendous place to be Um, and so at the time I worked at Christians Against Poverty which is a a Christian charity that um, help churches to support people who are in poverty mainly through debt counselling and John Kirkby who set up a cap he said that he expected people to come to cap see what they did and replicate what they do for other other causes so god really spoke to me through that and through my friend's experience and i kind of wanted to do something to help churches welcome refugees across the uk um, and connect with that 
So Karina, who I founded Welcome Churches with, was doing similar things in Derby. She'd set up a local project there to welcome refugees and asylum seekers, particularly through a project called Welcome Boxes. And so when the Syrian refugee crisis hit in 2015, they were starting to replicate that across the country and helping other churches to run Welcome Boxes. And so I connected with her at a conference and offered to come and help the national project come and grow. So through that, I moved back to the East Midlands, started working in Derby and yeah, helped the national project grow to the point of becoming our own charity, Welcome Churches, with the kind of the belief that no matter where a church is, there is something that they can do and we think should do to welcome refugees in the UK. So we help churches go on that journey and identify what they what they can do in their local area. Um, and respond accordingly. That's amazing. So tell me, this may sound obvious, but tell me, why do refugees need this service that you offer? So when people arrive in the UK, the they have left everything behind as a refugee or an asylum seeker. They have fled their home country, often left their families behind, friendships, their whole lives, their jobs, everything behind and come to the UK and need to start again. So the, the main thing that we see time and time again is that the people we meet want friendship and they want community that that they feel that they can be a part of and that they are welcomed into. There's different opinions in the UK over whether we should be welcoming refugees or not. And that can be quite scary for people who are arriving as well to know where they can find people who, who would be their friends and who, who want to welcome them. And we think the church is a really good place for them to find that community. Yeah, so if I try to imagine, if, if I was to move to a new town in the UK when I didn't know anybody... At, at least I would know the culture, I would know the language, and I would have natural ways to connect to people. But a refugee, they might not have any of those things, and they just might not know how to make any connections or get to know anybody. And so Absolutely. they need help to do that. Definitely. And a lot of um, refugees and asylum seekers don't necessarily have a choice in where they're living in the UK as well. So particularly when you're going through the asylum system, you are placed in a community, you may get told very last minute that you're you move into a new area. We've heard stories of people being put on a bus by the home office or the security company that the home office are working with, told to get on the bus and not told where they're actually going on it and what community they're going to be arriving in. So they can't very plan scary. for that. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, they can't plan for where they're going to arrive or make any community links. And then you may start to build community in one area and then get told that you, you're moving to a new area. And again, that that can be really, really difficult. Yeah, they seem to get moved around a lot. And I've never understood quite why the government does that. Yeah, it, 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 our asylum process is very complicated. So in theory, you arrive in what's called initial accommodation centre. So there are six of those around the UK where you should be for about two to three weeks, whilst the Home Office are kind of identifying longer term properties that you can live in whilst your asylum claim is being processed. Uh, and then you get moved to dispersal accommodation where you should be for the majority of the time your asylum claim is being processed. Sometimes people are moved from one property to another in a new area during that time as well. And then once your asylum claim has been processed, it will either get approved and then you can 
um, you, you then go, kind of go into the social housing mix or it will get rejected and then you kind of might need to find somewhere else, some other options. So that sounds relatively straightforward, just described like that. But I imagine if you're on the inside of the process, it must be quite uh, frightening and there's a lot of unknowns and you, you don't really understand what's happening yeah. some of the time. Yeah, and that's a simplified version and everybody's case is unique and there are all sorts of reasons why you might get moved again during that time. Maybe the house isn't suitable or there's there's some problems with the house, which means that you need a different house and so you might get moved to the other side of the country when that happens or, or something like that. Yeah, so it's clear why refugees need this kind of support and this kind of help. Mm. Why, why churches in particular? What is it that churches can offer? to help that is better than just what an individual can offer? So as a Christian, I can see that there is a clear mandate in the Bible to welcome the stranger. And in, in our context today, I think to welcome refugees, people who are seeking safety. The most obvious Bible verse around that is when Jesus says in Matthew 25 to welcome the stranger. And when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. But there are a whole host of reasons in the Bible why we should be welcoming refugees. So we're told to live our lives on earth as if we are strangers here. We're actually citizens of heaven and we're told to live our lives as strangers here on earth. And there's a lot, there's so much in that, that we should be able to identify with refugees who who are strangers in our communities, who don't feel that they belong. And we should be able to understand that. And as we welcome them, we can understand more about our own Christian identity as being strangers on earth as well. Um, and there's, there's, there's a whole range of different reasons in the Bible why this is an important issue to welcome persecuted brothers and sisters who have fled for their faith, um, to, to stand up for justice and to fight injustice when we're seeing it in the in the asylum system and, and so many other reasons as well. Yeah, so Christians have all kinds of special reasons to want to mm. go to extra effort to make refugees feel welcome and at home and to help them integrate into this country. Definitely, yeah. yes. Yeah, and then as a church, we, as churches in the UK, we are ready-made communities that I think in a way that, that other community groups aren't. So we're communities where there isn't just one age group, but all ages are represented. And as people of faith, we can often stand in the gap for people who come to the UK from societies where faith might be more valued in everyday life. And we see that a lot of people who are seeking refuge in the UK can find secular Britain quite scary and quite daunting because that's not something that they're used to. Somebody that I welcomed once said to me that if you do not have faith, you are not welcome in my home. Um, they were from a Sikh background uh, and were fleeing their country because they'd been persecuted for their Sikh faith. But you could see how important faith was to them. And I think there's a really important role that that the church has to play in UK society to kind of help bridge that gap between people of other cultures where faith is more valued in everyday life, more represented compared to, to secular Britain as we see it today. Yeah, so are most refugees people of faith then? It really varies hugely and it varies what country you've come from. It varies on your own experiences and things like that. A lot of the countries where 
refugees come from will be countries where faith is more valued in everyday life. So it might be that that faith is nominal rather than a practicing faith um, for individuals. But even if that's the case, it will be more normal to talk about faith, to talk about God um, in everyday life. Really, secular society is quite a Western concept, really. So if you're if you're from the Middle East or an African country, particularly, then you're more likely to to acknowledge God or um, yeah in your everyday life. Yeah, so it it seems obvious why a refugee who's a Christian would obviously want to get connected to a church and uh, would naturally seek out a church. Have you had much experience in the last few years of of non Christians from other faiths or no faith? Have they found your service helpful as well? Definitely, yes. So I suppose particularly people from the Muslim faith, we've seen a lot of people welcomed from Muslim faith by their local church. And they've a lot of the time really appreciated the support that the church has given and really valued the values that the church has as well. Um, And we often look to the church for church families to provide friendships for their children and people in the church who they feel that they can trust in that. Yeah, I guess even if you're from a different faith, you have a lot more in common than somebody who doesn't have any faith at all. And so a Muslim would find more points of contact with a Christian than with an atheist or 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 agnostic. But at the same time, is there a danger that people who aren't Christians, if they connect to a church, is there a danger that they will feel under a certain amount of pressure to become Christian in order to be welcomed in that community? I think that varies from church to church. In our training that we give to churches, we we talk about how you share your faith in a, a good way, in a loving way, which values the individual. Uh, the main thing that we do around that is prayer. We find that offering to pray with people and for people, particularly in the horrendous circumstances they have found themselves in the horrendous stories that they have shared with volunteers offering prayer has been a really good way of honoring that individual of giving dignity to that person and the fact that you have said that you would go to your god on their behalf we find time and time again brings dignity and honor to individuals yeah that means something and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're trying to convert them straight away Mm -hmm. just praying for them shows that you care about them and that you're caring about them in a way that corresponds to your own faith so I guess would you say that the the churches that you work with they try to make it clear that these refugees they're welcome whether or not they're Christian and whether or not they're interested in becoming Christian they're welcome anyway absolutely Definitely. Yes. And we, we've just we've got a video coming out actually called Welcome to the Church, which exactly says that it's a very short video that explains why the church is there and why the church is there for refugees to share ac- across refugee communities to say no matter what faith you're part of, you are welcome here and the church is here um, to welcome you. I think the other thing to say on that is that one of our values is religious freedom. And in the UK, we have freedom of religion, which we want to celebrate and we want to value in a way that the people who are coming to the UK haven't been able to do in their own countries necessarily. Especially if many of them are refugees precisely because they don't, there's not religious freedom in their own country. 
Yes. Yeah. There is a freedom here to explore faith, to explore faiths different to the one that you were brought up in. And lots of refugees want to make the most of that opportunity. And so we want to make sure that churches are ready and equipped to be able to explain the Christian faith and who Jesus is to those who are interested and want to use that freedom that they have in the UK to do that. Yeah, that's wonderful. So what kinds of things do churches do for refugees when a refugee shows up in their church or gets in touch with them some other way? What what sort of practical activities does the church do to make a refugee feel welcome? Yeah, so the main point is to say welcome. And so our main project that we run is something called Welcome Boxes, where churches intentionally go and welcome a refugee or an asylum seeker when they first arrive in their community with a box of gifts to say welcome. And that visual welcome through the gift that they're giving shows that they're there to be their friend. They're not the police. They're not the home office. They're not the local authorities. Um, They're not being paid to do this at all. They don't have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that they're there to be their friend and then following that first introduction um we then we then just encourage local church volunteers to introduce the refugee neighbors we call them um to the local community to new community groups to places where they can meet their own friends and get to know people to english classes and things like that as well There is practical help that might come as a result of that, but it all comes out of relationship to begin with. So we don't go in with our checklist saying, have you got this? Have you got this? Have you got this? But we say, is there anything you need help with? And we find that if people need help, they know it and they know what to ask for. So we do that out of the relationships that are formed. Yeah, so you don't just assume that you know what they want or what they need, but you leave it the initiative to them to to come if if they want or need anything. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what has Welcome Church has been doing specifically to do with the Afghanistan crisis and the new arrivals from Afghanistan? Yeah, so we have been, we've responded really rapidly to the needs that we've seen from new arrivals from Afghanistan who have come to the UK, mainly from the beginning of August, but this has increased towards the end of August as people needed to be evacuated out of Afghanistan more quickly. So we have been right there at the start in a lot of hotels where people have been placed, connecting them with local churches and helping them with the very practical needs that they have had immediately, whether that's clothing or with provision, particularly for young families. We've partnered with a charity called Baby Basics to provide equipment and and safe cots and safe trams and clothes. Oh, that's especially for refugee families with young children. Yes, yeah. yeah, particularly for the Afghan families who have arrived, we've been doing that. And then churches have been providing all sorts of activities and support to people as they've been in the hotels as well. It's been amazing to see churches respond really rapidly and quickly to that, often more quickly than other organisations or possibly even the local authorities have been able to do. And the church has been right at the forefront of being able to provide that welcome. I guess there's less bureaucracy standing in the way that you have to sort of less protocol that you have to overcome in order to get going. If you're a church. Yeah, there's been a whole host of reasons why there's been breakdown in communication and in various ways. But I think just because of how quickly it happened and how rapid it was, the support wasn't necessarily in place from the authorities or the formal structures that should have been there hadn't been able to be there because of 
the quick response of the nature of the problem that we had. So you you made a persuasive case earlier why it's important for Christians to welcome refugees, but you also said that in the UK it's relatively controversial that a lot of people think we shouldn't be welcoming refugees. So among the Christians that you know, have you experienced much resistance to refugees from Christians, or have Christians mainly been on board with the idea that we need to welcome refugees? Yeah, so if somebody, if a church is getting in touch with us, the reason is is because they want to welcome refugees. So I think we see people who are on board with our vision. And so by default, you're only in touch with people who already agree. Majority, yes, yeah. I mean, when we've done kind of Christian exhibitions and conferences before and been stood on a stand, you kind of meet more people actually who might have questions about whether it's something that we should be doing in the UK and things like that. And I think there's a big education piece um, to be done, even for the church in the UK, on who is coming to the UK, why are they coming, um, and what our responsibilities are as Christians to that. Just last week, I was talking to a lady and telling her some of the things that asylum seekers experience in the UK. So I was telling her two facts. So one is that asylum seekers aren't allowed to work whilst they're claiming asylum. And the other, that they're not allowed to learn English in their local college for six months when they first arrive. So they're really... They're not allowed to study English. Yeah. So when you first arrive in the UK, you're not allowed a college place to learn English for six months. And so those those two facts, most people don't know and they're not necessarily aware of. So they don't realise the the things that we put in the way of helping refugees to integrate from the start. And she said, you know, if everybody just knew those two things, then obviously they'd want to help and obviously they'd want to make a difference. But uh, there's a big education piece to do to kind of help people to understand that, I think. Yeah, so there's a lot of common sort of misunderstandings or just ignorance about the situation of refugees. You mentioned you want to make people aware of where refugees are coming from and why they're coming. Do you want to hit us with the headlines of those? So it it really varies on each person's experience. So there's a top 10 list of countries that people are seeking refuge from. I can't remember them off the top of my head. That's a problem. Okay, it doesn't um, matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, we can we can skip that one. Uh, how about the other question? Why don't you tell me a little bit about why refugees come here? So there are a whole range of reasons why people come to the UK to seek refuge and each person's story will be different and will have had different experiences depending on their home country, depending on their background and all sorts of reasons. It may be that they've had to flee political persecution, that they've opposed their government um, and so their life is in danger as a result of that. It may be that it's religious persecution, that they've decided to convert religion or their religion that they follow isn't one that the majority would follow in that country but it can also be things such as persecution from family members or tribal members or war zones a a whole host of reasons yeah so whatever whatever the sort of specific reason it's just generally that life has become impossible for them in their current country absolutely and their life is in danger that's probably the main headline is that it's not safe for them to live in their home country. Yeah, so if you read some of the newspapers in the UK, some of the tabloid newspapers, you sometimes get the impression that the UK is 
overwhelmed with vast numbers of refugees and we can't really cope with having any more. And so we need to close our borders for that reason. It's how far is that true from your point of view? Obviously, I don't think we are overwhelmed because I think it's really important that we welcome refugees to the UK and that that's kind of why we exist. Um, there are problems in the system and everybody really acknowledges that. But I, I don't think that that problem is because of the numbers coming to the UK. I think it's because of how the system is set up. Um, and some of the problems within the system. There's a huge backlog of asylum cases being processed in the UK. I think I saw a statistic the other day that said that over 75% of asylum claims have been waiting over six months for their claim to be processed. And we meet people who have been waiting years for their asylum claim to be processed, some waiting in over 10 years. Um, and during that time, they can't work, they can't learn English. Absolutely. And they just have a small amount of money per week to live off. Yeah, you can learn English after six months. It's only the first six months you're not allowed to learn, but you can't work. And yeah, your income is very restricted. So you're just waiting. You're waiting for the mercy of somebody else to make a decision on your life and how you can proceed with your life during that time. So the problems are more with the system and the bureaucracy in the system and the processing in the system rather than the, the amount of people who are coming to the UK. And that's really what needs to be addressed. I guess the system is there so as to make sure that the people coming really are refugees as opposed yeah. to, well, I don't know. I mean, some people think that or, or have the impression that a lot of the people who come to the UK are not real refugees, but they're just they just are seeking the benefits of living in a wealthy nation like the UK when they don't actually have to leave or they're choosing to leave, as it were. Yeah, there's definitely a need for a system. No one's denying that. But the system as it is at the moment is very, it's broken and everybody admits that it's broken. And that's the problem with it at the moment. So we need a system, but we need a better system than we have at the moment. Yeah, so I heard some of that language when the Home Office introduced the new Nationality and Borders Bill. They also admitted, oh, you know, the system needs reform. And they were like, well, this new bill will bring about some of that much needed reform. So do you agree that the Nationality and Borders Bill is, is a good reform of the system? Or um, there, are, there are some things that are good in it. So the government wants to look more at how we can resettle more people directly from countries rather than making dangerous journeys to the UK. That's really good. There's a huge problem around what we do with people when they make their own route to the UK and claim asylum upon arrival. And the new Nationality and Borders Bill basically criminalises people for doing that. They will never be given indefinite leave to remain in the UK, no matter how dangerous their life was back in their home country, just because they've made their own way to the UK, particularly if they paid a people smuggler to get here, they will be seen as a criminal for doing that uh, rather than a victim of a people smuggler at that point. Um, and that, that's hugely problematic um, because the UN have announced that, that, that they don't think that that will work. And the Refugee Council and others have also kind of given evidence to the government to that extent that it won't stop people from coming to the UK by their own means. It won't stop people from travelling across Europe um, and 
paying people smugglers and seeking asylum on arrival, it will just increase the suffering that those people have to go through long term. And we will just increase more suffering on them after everything that they've been through as well. Yeah, because they're made into sort of second class citizens who have Absolutely. not not all the benefits of Absolutely. the other kinds of refugees. Yeah. And in fact, it seems to me that what that sort of two tier system is trying to do is force the refugees to wait in their own country and what's an incredibly dangerous and difficult situation and just wait for the UK to get around to remembering to try and resettle yeah. them. Yeah. Which is yeah. not a particularly fair thing to expect anyone to do. Yeah. So whilst resettlement routes are really great and really needed, and that's really good, the problem is is that if you're Ali from Iran who needs to flee, it's not like you you can't choose, okay, the resettlement centre's over there, I'll go there. It will be the only option I have is to make my own journey. And for the individual, they won't have that choice, uh, whereas resettlement will happen for a different group of people, probably, to the people who are choosing to make their journeys to the UK. Yeah, that's very challenging. So if if there's a Christian listening to this who's part of a local church and they think, yeah, this is really important, I want to get involved, what kind of first steps would you suggest Yeah, so the first step is to join our network. So we have a network of over 600 churches now across the UK who are saying that we want to be refugee welcoming. It's free to join. You just go to our website, welcomechurches.org, and sign up. And then once you've done that, then you can begin that process of thinking, okay, what does this actually mean for our church? What are some of the things that we can put in place to be proactive in our welcome? And how, how do we do that? It also means that if there are refugees or asylum seekers that we know of who are moving to your local area, we can connect them with your local church and say that you're there and ready to welcome them. Yeah, so that's a very obvious starting point of how to help. Apart from joining Welcome Churches and being part of the network, are there other things that individual Christians can do? We also have a devotional book around what the Bible says about welcoming refugees. And that's a really good place to start learning about some of the responsibilities that we have as Christians to refugees and asylum seekers and and really challenging ourselves to think more deeply about these issues. There are obviously there are other local organisations and other groups that individuals can join in with in their locality, depending on where you are. And many of those have been founded by Christians as well. have Christian values which is really fantastic too. So that devotional book sounds great Uh, how do we get hold of that? Um, If you go to our website and go to our contact page you should be able to get hold of it there. So is it free? It is yes. That's amazing yeah well that's certainly a lot to process and think about yeah so um so thank you very much Emily for all of the interesting things you had to share. Thank you. It's been good to speak with you. Thank you for listening to Faith at the Frontiers. If you liked this episode, then do subscribe to hear more like it in the future. For now, goodbye. Goodbye.